All right. So welcome to episode seven. Is it seven? I don't know. Is it seven? I think it's seven. Let's see. Pretty sure it's seven because then we just do. I, don't I know, thought it was know. eight. Ah, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we never know. We have California, Let's Idaho, see. Washington, Oregon, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico. It's eight. Damn it. Well, welcome to another exciting episode of State of Murder. We're going to be done counting now because I'm apparently very bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in episode eight. We're traveled to New Mexico. So yeah, I don't know what's what's New Mexico's tagline. What's their thing? I don't know, but I've never been to New Mexico. Me neither. Something we have in common. I think this is the first state we've hit that I haven't been to. <laughs> I think it is. Oh, new uh, sideline. New Mexico's tagline is "Everybody is somebody in New Mexico." That's because there's not very so many somebodies in New Mexico. <laughs> there's, there's not. <laughs> but nevertheless, we have two brand new cases for you this week. That's right. So I will get started um, with this week. And um, so this week I am going to be telling you about um, what newspapers dubbed the Hollywood video murders. So I don't know if people remember, but back in the olden days, you used to have to go into an actual video store to rent movies to then take home and watch on... um, I'm guess I'm pretty since this case happened in '96, they definitely still had VHS tapes because I actually worked at a Hollywood video store when I just finished high school. Um, so in 1998, so two years after this, and we were just starting to switch from VHS to DVD. So that was a huge thing. So, nice little so bonus fun was, fact. Yeah. <laughs> So Hollywood video is kind of, I guess, a smaller blockbuster. So um, it was like the lesser known. Yeah, lesser known. It was, I'm going to say probably one of my favorite jobs I had growing up. So I did, I worked some other places too, but no, I loved working at Hollywood video, but I hated the fact that they made us wear tuxedo shirts. So (laughs) like with the ruffles, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I never actually went into a Hollywood. I was always blockbuster. These little um, vests that had that were black and then had like film stuff on them that we had to wear kind of like almost I don't know it was yeah but I didn't really care for that part about it but otherwise I really really liked working for Hollywood (laughs) video so it was good they no longer exist I don't think so anyway Mm -hmm. Um, but in the 90s in the early 2000s Hollywood video was pretty big so this is dubbed the Hollywood video murders so I got a lot of my information from a court document. Um, it was from the Supreme Court of New Mexico, states, uh, called State versus Harrison, as well as a news article from the Associated Press and an article written by Tracy Dingman from the Albuquerque Journal paper. So those are my three main sources. Uh, so we'll start with what happened. So Sarah, I'm gonna say her name is, last name is Lichen but I'm not sure if that's how like you pronounce a, it yet again. Like a werewolf? <laughs> no, that's not like that. Maybe Leakin? I don't know. I'm just going to call her Sarah because that's easy okay. for me to pronounce. Okay. So, so 
Sarah was working a closing shift at Hollywood Video in Albuquerque. It was a Friday night shift, so the store closed later. So just like most places, like weekend hours are later than, you know, weekday hours. So, uh, and so she was closing up. The staff had just locked the door for the night when a black car drove up with two people inside of it and a man got out of the car and he tried opening the door for the Hollywood video. Uh, Sarah was like, uh, no, the store's closed, sorry. Um, Sarah actually knew this man because he actually came in and rented video, so he had a Hollywood video card. And uh, so she knew him, uh, his name was Shane Harrison. Sarah described him as always kind of being weird and always acting a little bit suspicious. So when she came up, so when she, when he came up to the door when she was inside and tried to open it, she was like, absolutely not. She refused to let him in and he became kind of angry and agitated and stormed off. And so she's closing by herself? No, there were other people, but she was, I oh, think, okay. probably the one by the door. Okay. Uh, so, so he storms off and she just kind of was like, okay, that was weird. So the next evening, which was March 2nd of 1996, Sarah was again scheduled to work the closing shift. She was scheduled to work with three other employees. So Jawanda Castillo, Zachary Blacklock, and the manager, Mylin Deoti, is I think how you pronounce her last name. Uh, so during her shift that night, Sarah started feeling really, really sick. Uh, so her coworkers were like, oh, Sarah, you should, you should, you need to go home. Like you're sick. So she said, okay. So Jawanda actually ended up giving her a ride. She didn't have much gas, but she wanted Sarah to get home. And so she gave her a ride and then came back to work. Uh, so then the next morning, Sarah was scheduled to open the store and she got there around 930 with some of her other coworkers. And she ended up discovering the bodies of her three friends. All three had been shot in the head three times. Uh, so. My God. I know. Like just come into work and you would, you would have been scheduled to work the previous night. Yeah. And you would have been there. Yeah. So she actually, uh, when she talks about it, she has a lot of kind of survivor's guilt because she was mm. supposed to be there. So uh, friends and family all gathered around like the parking lot of the Hollywood video and it was discovered then that not only were the three dead in the store, but Zachary Blacklocks, so he was one of the other employees working that night, um, grandparents, uh, the, McDog the McDougals, uh, were, I was gonna say McDonald's and that's not right. So the McDougals uh, were, his grandparents were scheduled to pick him up that night and they realized that they were missing. So their car oh, was missing, no. they were nowhere to be found. And it would take 36 hours for the police to find the car and locate the bodies of Zach's grandparents. Mm -hmm. uh, so the community was super shocked at this, like what had occurred. Like, so three, like Zach and Jawanda were all like 18, 19 years old. And then Mylin was 30. So they were younger. And then the fact that like the grandparents had been taken. So the community was just like, what in the world is going on? Uh, and they wanted a lot of, they wanted answers and they wanted them quickly. So the community raised $100,000 for a reward for information within the week. So it was wow. really quick response um, so that they could find out who committed the crime. So about a week after the crime happened, I think it said uh, March 11th. So this was like March, it happened like 
early morning. The murders happened early morning on a Sunday, so Saturday night, Sunday, so that was March 3rd. So on March 11th, uh, the police would get a phone call from a man named John LaSalle. Uh, so he, he, he called the police because he stated he was unable to sleep because he was so disturbed by what his ex-girlfriend, Esther Beckley, had told him. And this, uh, so I got all this information is from his affidavit and also Beckley's testimony on what happened. So I'm going to share like, now going back to the past previous days and kind of sharing what they say uh, happened and what uh, led up to the night. So, so you have Beckley and she, let's see. Uh, so Beckley and her friend, Shane Harrison. So if you remember, he's the guy the previous night, Sarah had said, no, you can't come in. Mm -hmm. uh, they went together and they bought um, a couple of BB guns that look like 40, 45 guns. I, you know, as we all know in this podcast, Amber don't know nothing about no guns. <laughs> <laughs> And Selena only knows slightly more. <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty sure in the 90s it wasn't required for like BB guns and fake guns to have like the orange, like how we have to now. No, I um, think that came later because of yeah. gun violence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they had two, two BB, they bought two BB guns that looked like 45s, a tech nine, nine millimeter, yeah, that's right, millimeter, yeah, mm -hmm. semi-automatic uh, pistol. And then they got ammunition for that pistol and as and then they bought also ammunition for a shotgun and then on february 23rd of that year they ended up going to max steak in the rough restaurant where they robbed the store using the bb gun and the tech nine so lasalle so he's uh beckley's ex-boyfriend who called and he's telling the cops all about this uh testified in court that harrison had told him uh, about that robbery. So he already knew that that had occurred. So I guess they're bragging. I don't know. Cause there was another person that testified also that Harrison had told them that they had also robbed that place. So they're kind of sharing mm -hmm. it with everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so after that robbery, they planned to then rob the Hollywood video store, uh, where they, so, um, so they started it by staking it out for a couple of nights. So Beckley went one night, Harrison went another night. And then the night that Sarah saw them, uh, they had come and their plan was to rob it that night. Uh, but then they, it wasn't successful, obviously, because nobody let them in the store. So they decided to come back the next night a little bit before it closed so they could get into the building instead of waiting until after it closes, which yeah. makes a little sense because I don't know how else you would get in unless you broke in. Um, so they waited while the last customer rented his movie and then, uh, Beckley approached Mylin, uh, showed her the BB gun and forced her into the office so that they could steal the surveillance tapes because they'd been inside the building for a little bit. So they wanted to make sure that nobody had those tapes, obviously. So, uh, Beckley grabbed the surveillance tape and while she and Mylin were in there, Zachary ends up coming in. And Beckley tells him what's going on. Hey, we're robbing the place. You have to stay here. And while that was happening, Harrison comes in to the office with Jawanda. So now all three of the employees that were working that night are in the office. Uh, okay. So then Harrison took Mylin to the front, front of the store 
to open the safe. So this sounds exactly like the layout of the Hollywood video I worked at because like there are two sides and there's always the safe was right by the kind of by the front door. Uh, so I'm guessing that was similar to the setup. So like also where the question, checkout. How much money did they carry on hand at a Hollywood video? Um, I think they got away with a couple thousand dollars. So, but like, where's the, I'm trying to remember, it's been so long since I've rented movies. Like, I mean, I guess they would sell like candy and stuff, but what else mm -hmm. would you have the money for, like for the memberships and stuff, like, or the little, I don't know, what Wait. would you, <laughs> late, late fees, fees I guess, I don't know, it just, video for us, like oh. you would rent and like people would come back and they would owe like 30, $40 in late fees. Oh my could, God. I know. And you couldn't rent another movie until you paid it off. Although I was really nice and like rock, like would just cancel people's late fees all the time. <laughs> nice. I'd be like, that's astronomical. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Way to go, it. Amber. You're the reason that Hollywood video is now out of business. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Hollywood video. I <laughs> My goodness. No, yeah, I but I don't know. That's just what, what an interesting place to decide to rob, especially rob. it's like. I feel like there are plenty of other places that might be, I mean, it's unfortunate that this happened, but you think they would have picked somewhere maybe with more money. Cause I wouldn't immediately think like, Oh, a video rental place. That's going to have yeah. a lot of money versus like a car wash or like, a, I don't know, like a actual like department store or things like, yeah. I don't know. Those well, things would like, have more money on hand. Yeah. It's kind of like with your organ story when we were talking and they were like mm -hmm. robbing the, Gas, gas station. station and it was like how much money could they possibly be getting from that yeah. so it doesn't sound like a lot I mean a couple thousand maybe they didn't take I don't know maybe they didn't take them like deposit the money every day so oh, okay so like the they, they're week. holding on to it or like yeah. the well it's over the weekend so the banks aren't probably open until Monday so That's robbing true. it on Saturday night Sunday probably has the most likelihood of having the most cash that's true so um, so Harrison, so he's take he takes Mylin to the front of the store to open the safe while Beckley, uh, hung back with, um, the other two in the office. So, and at this time, Zachary's grandparents have driven up to the front of the store to pick him up. And so Beckley testified that Harrison sent her outside to kind of like keep them busy while he finished robbing the store. Um, and then also to prevent them from leaving because I guess you could pretty, like uh, Beckley said that you could look right into the store and you could see Harrison with Mylin up at the front kind of doing some stuff. Mm. And so Beckley went out to their car and told them that everybody was getting ready to go and leave, but asked if she could sit in their car because uh, her car's heater didn't work. And so, you know, them being a nice elderly couple, they're like, yeah, I'll come in. And so they let her sit in the back seat. And while she's talking and keeping them occupied, she stated that she heard a number of like popping sounds that kind of sounded like, uh, I watched a, a news reel of her talking about, uh, about the incidents too. And she said it sounded like a hammer hitting like cement. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she sees uh, Harrison running out uh, with uh, his gun out, his Tech Nine, and a bag, like a plastic bag. And so he runs to his car and throws the plastic bag into the back seat of his car and then comes up to uh, McDougal's car and 
the wife, so her name's Pauline and her husband's name is George. So Pauline was in the driver's seat and George was in the passenger seat. And then you had Beckley in the back seat. So here comes Harrison and he's running up to their car and he wants Pauline to open the door and she doesn't. So, and then he, he tells Beckley to make her. So Beckley forces her to open the door and Harrison jumps into the front driver's seat and tells Beckley uh, to get into his car and follow them. So now he kind of, he has these two hostages mm -hmm. uh, and he just takes off and he starts driving towards the mountains. And then there are two different stories about what happens with the McDougals. Uh, so, and one of them is what Beckley testifies to. And then the other one is from her ex-boyfriend, LaSalle's, his uh, affidavit on what she told him. So Beckley testified that once they got into the mountains and pulled off to the side of the road, Harrison got out, walked the couple a little bit away, um, and then ended up shooting both of them with the shotgun, uh, and then coming back to her car, or his car, I guess, um, and noticed that they were still moving about. So he grabbed his Tech 9 and then shot them again because they were still moving. And then the other story, so the story that uh, her ex-boyfriend said was that, this is what she told him, is that when they got to the mountains, they all got out of the car, Harrison threw Beckley the shotgun, and uh, so she was like, okay, and so she holds up the shotgun, and George is like, oh, are you going to kill us? And so she goes to shoot the shotgun, and it doesn't fire, and so she pumps it again, and then ends up shooting George, and he falls to the ground and lands on some barbed wire, and then Pauline kneels down to be next to him, and then uh, Beckley shoots her as well, and then Harrison comes up and unloads his pistol into both of them, and then uh, they take off. So oh there's two different stories. One of them, I, I don't know which one's true. They, yeah. It is true that both, that Pauline and George were both shot multiple times with two different weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, Beckley to this day says that it was uh, Harrison that shot shot him both times that she, he used different ones, but mm -hmm. who knows. Uh, so when Beckley's ex-boyfriend LaSalle shared this with the police, he said Beckley told him what had happened um, during an argument. And she, so this is kind of leaning towards maybe what a motive would be for not necessarily, I don't know. For the robbery, not necessarily the killing, mm -hmm. but she, I guess, in this argument, just blurted out that she had killed for him, and he was kind of like, wait, what? And so then she tells him that she and Harrison are the ones that committed the Hollywood video murders, and so, and then she goes into the detail that I just told you guys about, so he was mm -hmm. just kind of like, what the hell? Um, yeah. And so Harrison, on the other hand, totally denies any involvement in the killing, stating that he did buy the guns with Beckley, but that he had bought them for LaSalle because I guess he couldn't buy guns, mm -hmm. um, and that he then loaned Beckley his car and a neighbor's leather jacket, randomly, I don't know, <laughs> and that he had spent the whole time that night at home, so he was home by himself the entire night, and then Beckley shows up at like five in the morning on that Sunday, 
and returns, she borrowed his car too. So, mm -hmm. so borrowed his car, borrowed his, his guns, borrowed his neighbor's jacket, and then returns <laughs> it at five in the morning and then tells him that he needs to get rid of the jacket and that he needs to change the tires on his car because his car was involved in a murder. Wow. <laughs> and, and that the jacket had blood on it, so he needed to get rid of it. So he did, he admitted that he did go and buy new tires to like kind of cover up the murder, but she didn't bring the, according to his testimony, uh, he, she didn't bring the guns back with her. So he went out into the mountains because I guess they were buried. And so he went out to the mountains after she told him about all of this, dug back up the guns and brought him back to his house. So this is what, this is his story. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, why wouldn't you just leave the guns buried? Yeah. <laughs> like, if this really, really happened, like, I wouldn't just be going out and being like, okay, let me dig those guns up again. I mean, I guess they're probably registered to him, but, yeah, but I, and then just keep them in his house, because when the police come to arrest him, they find them at, they find the guns at his house, so, hmm. I know, just, it's very strange. So, there's two totally different stories. Uh, Harrison uh, was found guilty of murdering Colleen and George McDougal, uh, but the jury couldn't reach a unanimous verdict on the other three murders, so huh. he he never was found guilty of the murders because that part they kind of I guess mistrial because they couldn't decide, and hmm. New Mexico decided not to retry him for those because he had already got life in prison as a sentence for the murders of the McDougals. So they're kind of I think thinking, what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the family members for the victims were really upset by that because they didn't see it as justice done because nobody, well, he hasn't been found guilty of those murders. Yeah. It's basically like, oh, well, we don't know who killed your loved ones then. Like yeah. it's unspoken. Like even if he's going to get the same life sentence at least. And I think it was back in with the Nevada story too. It was like, getting the death penalty for some and the um, life sentences for the others things on my story with the guy who killed his family and it's that sense of like okay that that the death led to some specific punishment even if it's a repeat punishment and even if it's mm -hmm. like a bunch yeah. of the, it's for each individual murder yeah mm -hmm. so Beckley ended up pleading guilty to the murders and she got sentenced 95 and a half year prison sentence oh so gosh. and she uh harrison was young i think he was 26 at this time when this when these events took place beckley was 41 so she was a little bit older um and in the interview i saw with her uh on like it was a news interview with her she was she was talking about the reason why she pled guilty was because even though she didn't pull the trigger she was part of the reason and helped plan the robberies so she was the reason why these people all died and so she took responsibility for that hmm. which I guess but she's still yeah. like I don't know I I find the like it more credible that she probably did shoot them like the McDougals, like just that story. I mean, it was pretty detailed. Yeah. And, but so, yeah, she got a life sentence and uh, that's the story. Like the sad, sad story of uh, 
the Hollywood video murders, the unnecessary, well, all murders are unnecessary, really, but it's like uh, a lot of the new, news articles I was reading just pointed out that, like, it's these kids just working, and we've had that a couple of times where it's just, like, people doing their normal business, working, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then someone decides, and especially for something like robbery, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, to me, it's so unnecessary to murder someone if you're robbing, like just, especially in a job, because it, at every single job that you work, like when I worked at the movie theater, we were taught. And when I worked at Target, it was, we were yeah. taught the same thing. Like if anyone comes in, just give them what they want. Like yeah, just give absolutely. them everything because yeah. it's not worth it to try to stop them. And yeah. So when everyone's being trained to do this, it's not hard to go in and just be like, okay, I'm robbing you. They'll give you all the stuff and then mm -hmm. you can go, yeah, you're probably going to get caught because you're robbing and committing a crime and that's dumb. But at the same time, it's like these people didn't have to die. Cause I'm sure even in the night, like they would have probably just been like, okay, here's the safe. Here's yeah. all this stuff. Well, like we're just and, kids yeah, working at a movie. She, she was cooperating. It sounds mm -hmm. like from the, you know, from Beckley's, like she went up to the front, was opening, she opened the safe. Uh, it's kind of interesting because like in every instance, like all of the eyewitnesses, so like Sarah testified that she saw Harrison the night before um, mm -hmm. when it came to be, but remember how I mentioned that there was um, a guy renting a movie at the very end of the night Mm -hmm. uh, when the, when Beckley and Harrison were in there. So it's really interesting because he couldn't identify Harrison. He only could identify, he picked Beckley out of a lineup. So she was fingered. And that happened also when they robbed the steak place is that they, they could identify Beckley, but they couldn't identify Harrison in it. And so hmm. I thought, that I wonder was if she just looked more unique than he did or like something stood out or was it, well, in the, with the video thing, I feel like a guy would recall a girl more than he would recall seeing a guy, yeah. especially if the guy just looked like a normal guy, like if he just looked typical. But if you see a woman, guys yeah. tend to remember that, especially if she was attractive or had something distinct about her. about her. Or even just, even it being a woman that's doing the robbery, maybe you're so taken aback by that that you focus more just because when you yeah. think of robberies and robbers, you don't tend to think of women doing that kind of thing. That's and true. so maybe you're like, oh shit, a woman's robbing the place. And so yeah. maybe you're more focused on her. Maybe Harrison is a little more uh, just common. I, yeah, common yeah. looking. I'm not sure. But they definitely, for sure, there were, th there were other theories. So some thought that um, it was Beckley and her ex-boyfriend who um, committed the crimes. Uh, so that's kind of what Harrison was kind of like, in, like mm -hmm. insinuating. But the customer at the end of the night, so Harrison's white and uh, LaSalle is African-American. And so mm -hmm. he was like, no, definitely it was a white guy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can't really deny that. So it's just yeah. interesting that like everybody's like, oh, I'm not quite sure. And I think that's part plays part of the reason why he was found, he wasn't found guilty of the other three murders is just because they couldn't for sure identify him in that. Mm -hmm. And Beckley just she she confessed, so she said yeah. she was guilty. So yeah. okay, well, so thank that, you for that's the story from from my uh for my New Mexico. Okay. <laughs> Okay.
right. So um, my story does not have a name to it. It's not known as anything. Um, so the story takes place, um, or this case takes place, July 23rd, 1987. So we're backtracking a little from the 90s. Um, it was 2 p.m. Uh, and a woman named Cindy Ray parked her cherry red Chevy Blazer outside of the, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this word because words are hard, uh, obstetrics, obstetrics, the pregnancy doctor, what is it? Uh-huh, like an obstetrician? Yes, obstetrician I can say, but apparently obstetrics? Obstetrics, yes, there you go. So she parked outside of the obstetrics clinic uh, to hear her child's heartbeat, Um, and she was kind of nervous she was about two weeks away from giving birth to her second child with her husband sam and the first pregnancy that they had their son was very active and so she hurt a lot so in this one they had the hospital had her wearing like one of those heart rate monitors that they put on women's bellies so that way they can hear like monitor Mm -hmm. it even when they're not at the hospital because they weren't hearing much um and in the article i read because i got a lot of my information from an article on this and done by the LA times. Um, they were talking about how she even like made sure she drank, uh, a Coca-Cola for lunch. So that way the caffeine is supposed to help like oh, hear the heartbeat. The heart rate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you could hear it better. Um, and Cindy Ray and her husband, Sam, well, I keep saying Cindy Ray, like that's two names. It's her first and last name. Um, But Cindy and Sam were Mormons and they were really devout Mormons, which means that they don't drink caffeine. So to her, but she was so desperate. She was like, no, like for this, I can make an exception because she really wanted to make sure the baby was okay. So um, Sam was a military policeman um, at the Air Force Base or yeah, at the Air Force Base in Albuquerque. I believe it's like the Kurtman. Air Force Base, and Cindy was a devout Mormon wife who sold Tupperware on the side, so she was very, they were both very into um, the whole Mormon thing, like, so much so that they even wore those special underwear that Mormons have. They're called magic underwear, but apparently Mormon people don't like it when you call them that because they're not magical (laughs) underwear. They're just underwear, Um, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically, like, a short sleeve undershirt and like some pants that go to like your knees that are considered underwear. They like I go kind over of picture regular it, underwear. Not the same fabric, but like, you know, like the 1920s swimsuits for like yeah. men. That's how I picture it. <laughs> yeah. But that's how they look for women. It's like, it almost looks like yeah, that old yeah. school, except it has short little sleeves. Um, and it's supposed to help remind the Mormons of like their promise to to, I don't to God, I guess. It was something about like honoring their pledge or whatever to God, to be pure. I don't know, which was interesting. I had to look it up because I was like, but they're married. So do they still have to wear these special underwear? And apparently it's just a thing that they wear. So that way they look and they always remember their their beliefs, I guess. I don't know. It seemed interesting. Wasn't um, Mitt Romney a Mormon and he talked about it when he was running for president that, that he wore that underwear? I think so. I think that was the thing. But yeah, but they, they if you look them up, they get the name like magic underwear or something, but apparently they don't, the Mormons don't like that because it implies that it's like, well, I don't think any religion kind of likes when you mention magic, but magic. also there's nothing magical about the underwear. They're just underwear that they wear. But anyway, so 
the two were high school sweethearts and they were married in 1983 um, after Sam had gotten back from a church mission um, in England, I believe. And so they ended up getting married and Sam was in the Air Force, like I mentioned. So they ended up getting um, placed at this Air Force base in Albuquerque. So while Cindy Ray was inside listening to her child's heartbeat at her appointment, a white Volkswagen Beetle pulled up and parked next to her Chevy Blazer. Inside was Darcy Pierce. Darcy was um, a woman with some past troubles. And because she remembers that, she doesn't remember, but it was said that she was left um, at 11 days old with another family when she was born. Um, they didn't really say if it was like somebody adopt, like she was left like as part of an adoption or if she was just left on somebody's porch. They did mention in the article that the man who left her was like a door-to-door salesman or whatever. So I'm going to imply that that's her father and was just like, hey, here's your, t- here's your sale thing and here's this baby. But either oh way, he abandoned her. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It was a weird way to say that. So somebody left yeah. her. Okay. She was only 11 days old. So that really stuck with her, that sense of like rejection. Abandonment. Mm-hmm. And she was adopted, um, but she really hated her adopted parents. Um, it didn't really give too much of a reason other than it seemed like they were very occupied. She never saw much of her adopted dad. He was always gone working. Um, and in the article, for whatever reason, it said she hated her adopted mom, who was an overweight woman who baked cakes to make money on the side, which I don't see, Sounds that doesn't horrible. sound like a reason to, to not her. like someone, but I got these, the like insinuation that maybe they didn't pay a lot of attention to her. Okay, yeah. Um, and again, for a child who already feels really abandoned, that's not yeah. ideal. Um, so Darcy had a traumatic childhood. Um, when she was nine, a neighbor forced her to have oral sex. Um, and other men around her um, were making sexual advances because at age nine, she pretty much had a developed figure. Okay. So she was very mature looking for her age, her even age. though it's very important to remember that she is still a child. Child, yeah. Not absolutely. okay. Um, and so when Darcy was six, um, a psychiatrist later on stated that she shared a story of how she seduced one of her cousins, um, and had a sexual relationship with him for about six years. Um, that started when she was six years old? Yep. So something um, else happened to her before that, because I don't yeah. think that you would be even aware of that at six years old, unless there's some sort of past. You're seeing something or there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it said the neighbor thing didn't happen until she was nine. So Mm -hmm. again, it could be, but then again, this is something that the psychiatrist was stating. So I don't know if this was just what she said. So we'll get into what happens and then we'll come back to, to this. So Darcy ended up leaving home before her high school graduation and moved in with her boyfriend, Ray Pierce. Um, the two had met in Portland, Oregon in 1984. They were at like a rotary get together meeting or something. Um, and Ray Pierce, he was planning on going into the air force at some point. So they hit it off right away. Cause he had all of the stability that she was looking for, mm-hmm. um, that she didn't sound like she was getting from her, um, family and it even goes to say like she graduated high school but her parents didn't even show up to her high school graduation um which again kind of begs like what's going on in there that she left home and then you're still not showing up for her yeah so um the two ray pierce and darcy 
um, became pregnant um, when she was when they were first together, but she suffered a miscarriage. Um, and it was later discovered that she had ovarian cysts. Um, it didn't specify what kind, but some, like I looked into it, and some ovarian cysts don't cause any problems, but some, depending on what type they are, a yeah. lot of them can cause yeah. fertility problems. So Darcy was concerned about losing Ray because she felt like the only reason um, that he was kind of with her was to, like, have have kids. And so she devoted all of her time trying to have a child. So in 1986, Darcy and Ray got married when she became pregnant a second time. So Darcy ended up taking maternity leave at a department store that she was working at. And she started wearing maternity clothes, which was interesting because it sounded like she did that immediately after finding out she was pregnant. Pregnant? Okay. And immediately after finding out you're pregnant, it's interesting that she took maternity leave because you got nine months. and. Yeah. Or, at, I mean, say you find out at three months, that's still six months of yeah. stuff. And nobody immediately starts needing maternity clothes that I've known. Um, no. Usually. I mean, the only, yeah, the only thing I would think of is like, if she was high risk or something, because she'd already had a miscarriage. And so she needed to yeah. take maternity leave because of that. But yeah, maternity clothes. Yeah. It's like really gaining weight quickly. Yeah. Which normally doesn't start happening until you're later on in there. And even mm-hmm. then you can pretty much wear regular clothes for a bit but either way she started doing that so she was gaining weight um but all the pregnancy tests that were given to her that she took it wasn't really clear if she was going to doctor's offices to take them or if she was taking them um I don't know how home pregnancy tests were in the 80s Not I, don't I don't know um and so but all those tests were coming back as negative and so she, when her due date in 1987 came, uh, Darcy ended up telling her, and there was no baby, Darcy ended up telling her coworkers that she had had a stillbirth. And this is where the article gets a little confusing because it seems like they brought this fact up in the article that her due date was in 1987 and she told her coworkers that she had a stillbirth and that her husband didn't want to play along with that. But then it keeps telling this other story about her being pregnant again. So I'm like, was she pregnant at one point and then lied about this one and then pretended to be pregnant again? Or is this one really weird, big thing? I don't know. Either way. Or did she just lie about being pregnant the whole time? Yeah. So it was, I was a weird thing. But either way, she was apparently pregnant again or claimed she was or never went with the stillbirth light. I don't know. But her due date was apparently going to be in May. So Darcy and Ray ended up moving to Albuquerque. It didn't specify why, but I'm going to assume that since they mentioned him being in the Air Force again, because there was really, aside from the LA Times article, and then maybe one or two small ones that talked about the crime, there wasn't a whole lot on the backstory that I could find. Again, kind of the problem with lesser known cases is you don't get a lot of the backstory. Um, And so they moved to Albuquerque. And again, I'm going to assume it's because the Air Force Base there because they were nearby. So they moved there to Albuquerque. And all of a sudden, her due date went from sometime in May to July 16th. um, And then finally got moved to July 23rd. Again, don't know if everyone's just believing her when she tells them this or what the situation is. Because to me, it's if your due date jumps two months, like even for me. Yeah, that's pretty significant. 
yeah, even for medical standards of the 80s, I don't think they're going to be pushing you back two months, be that off about it. Um, So Darcy was due to be induced in just three hours of that day, July 23rd, 1987, at the University of New Mexico Hospital. It had been two years of waiting and 14 months after she began wearing those maternity clothes and being pregnant, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, for anyone who does not know, the normal period is nine months. So that's way longer than anybody should be pregnant. That's getting into elephant territory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gestational time for an elephant's two years. Yeah, I was going to say they're two years. There's some other animals that are about that long too. But yeah, either way, definitely not a human uh, gestational period. Mm-mm. So around 3.15 p.m., Sam Ray, who is Cindy's husband, he was supposed to be meeting her at the appointment, but he was running about 10 minutes late because the Air Force place where he worked or that office that he worked at was across the street from the clinic. Mm-hmm. So he went to the car first to drop off his like gun belt and stuff. I was going to assume he's off work at this point, so that's why he was going to meet her. He just got off work a little late. So he goes, um, he drops something off of the car and noticed that the little Tupperware stuff that she was supposed to be delivering that day were still in the car. So he's like, okay, she's still here. He goes into the hospital to look for her, but she wasn't in the, um, in the examination room. And they were like, oh, you just missed her maybe like five minutes ago or so. She walked out. So since he didn't see her at the car, he kind of walked through the building just a little bit. Apparently they described it as being long. I would just assume there's a lot of like walkways and stuff. So yeah, walking through um, and didn't see her headed back to the car, but she still wasn't around. So he ended up, it says he took the car. I don't know if he took the Chevy. No, I don't know if he took the car, the Chevy blazer, or if he just took his own car. It wasn't clear on that. But he headed to go pick up their two-year-old from the babysitter. Um, And this is where he kind of started to worry about what was going on because he still hadn't seen her or heard from her. So Sam searched the Air Force Base. He was trying to find just anybody who might have seen her. Um, And again, like, it's interesting because I noticed in a lot of these cases where they can't find someone, they always say it's unlike her to not check in or it's unlike Mm -hmm. her to just disappear. And it always begs the question, like, is it ever like somebody to just disappear? Disappear. But (laughs) I feel like the second someone's not checking it, I would be like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? Like, I would immediately be in kind of like, I need to find them now mode. Especially if it's your husband or wife, like, and that's not. And especially because like, you're both pretty devout Mormons. And as far as like how they describe Cindy, she was very into being this ideal Mormon housewife like taking care of the kids and Mm -hmm. and being a homemaker and all of it so why where would she have gone especially without the Tupperware order so it's not like she was oh I'm just gonna go walk and drop this off for somebody or I'm gonna go take this plus we're in New Mexico in July it is a desert crazy hot outside so again and that would worry too like she's pregnant due in a few weeks and now she's wandering potentially somewhere and it's really hot outside yeah And her due date is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. So around 4 p.m., so this is, what, like 45 minutes later, so he had time to pick up his son and everything. He was, while Sam was still looking for Cindy, a man named Theron Hartshorn, 
which is a very interesting name. I That's like it. That's kind of a cool name. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hartshorn. It sounds very like, I don't know, like a medieval type. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like knight. <laughs> yeah. So he was a supervisor at an Albuquerque wallboard company. He was heading home. Um, and so he was building a house about 15 miles from town up in the Manzano Mountains, which are in the Cibola National Forest. And so he was on his way up. And so he had to take some interstates and then it eventually led him to a U.S. Forest Service lane. So just kind of a dirt path mm-hmm. to get up there. Um, and he spotted a white Volkswagen in the road with both of the doors open. So he kind of looked around, got out of his car, and because he was going to try to close one of the Volkswagen doors so he could get past. Um, and because it doesn't sound like it was a very wide road, wide probably, road. like I said, just the yeah. little dirt roads probably fit maybe one car. And suddenly a woman jumped up from the bushes and she told him, My friend and I need to be left alone. He couldn't see anyone else around, but he goes, Okay, like I just need to get by. Um, and it he kind of thought like, okay, maybe she has a guy back there and they're yeah, behind the bushes. That would have been my definite first thought too, is like somebody's getting busy in the bushes. Uh-huh. And so, um, so she just kept telling him like, my friend and I need to be alone. My friend and I need to be alone. And so he kind of just walked back to his car after closing the Volkswagen door and drove past. Um, and when he passed the bushes, cause he's heading up past them, um, he noticed that it wasn't a man, it was a woman that was on the ground and he saw um, Darcy kind of get on top of her. So he was like, oh, it's two women messing around. And that was kind mm-hmm. of it. He didn't, the other woman wasn't really doing anything. He couldn't really yeah. see, he was kind of just driving. So he drove off and he left them alone. And so Darcy had taken Cindy from the clinic at gunpoint. Um, which was later revealed to be a toy gun that she had. So interesting that we we always have <laughs> we always have similar things, but it was a toy gun that she had okay. ended up using. Um, and she had driven Cindy to the forest. There, she strangled Cindy with the little strap of the heartbeat monitor that Cindy had worn to the appointment, because mm-hmm. the hospital had given it or the clinic had given it back to her, so she could like wash the little band yeah. and stuff. And so she strangled her with there, with the band. And Darcy, who had studied cesarean operations, because remember she was super obsessed with like being pregnant and knew that the jig was going to be up in a few hours if she didn't show up with a baby. So she used um, also graphic warning for anybody who needed it. Uh, She then used the ignition key of Cindy's blazer, it said. So I don't know if that was a mistake or if it really was Cindy's keys and never really said um, outside of this article uh, to cut open Cindy's belly while she was unconscious. She was alive, but unconscious. Uh, She made a five inch wound and delivered Cindy's daughter. I know at 4.30. So this is about half an hour later than that guy saw her or maybe 15 minutes, depending um, Darcy pulled into a car sales lot down in Albuquerque where her and her husband Ray had been to look that past weekend for a car. So she knew the place. Um, she was covered in blood and holding the newborn claiming she had delivered her, her baby on the side of interstate 25, which is the road between Santa Fe and Albuquerque. And that she had bitten the umbilical cord to be able to hold the baby. Yeah. 
So, okay. yeah. So the salesman was kind of like, okay, like he was trying to help her. So they ended up getting her to the hospital and, um, because she couldn't drive, she was holding, or she was saying that she needed help driving because yeah. the baby. So he drove her to the hospital and, um, her and the baby who she said her name was Amanda Michelle were admitted at 445. So all of this is happening pretty like back to back. Yeah. Pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So once admitted, Darcy refused to be examined and only wanted the baby to be checked. So she was like, nope, I don't need to. But the doctors were worried because there was a lot of like blood and mud on her legs. So they were worried that she could still be bleeding um, or infected because they're noticing, yeah, all the mud. But she just said she just wanted to get the baby's birth certificate, go home, like I'll sign a waiver, I'll do whatever, just get me out of here. Like I'm fine. So but like a good husband, Ray was like, no, you need to get checked out. Like you were supposed to be induced and now you had the baby and like, yeah, you need to get looked at. So around 6.30 PM, Sam reported Cindy missing to the police. Um, and so the police were looking for her and him and um, some of their friends from the Mormon community were calling airports and hospitals and like train and bus station like anything possible like trying to see if anyone can um has seen her and they even called relatives that lived in utah uh looking for cindy hopefully someone had contacted her but nobody had heard from her yeah so sam ended up calling sister rosemary who is cindy's midwife and sister rosemary just happened to be on duty at the hospital where everyone's kind of wondering about this baby that just popped up from this lady who doesn't want to get scene examined mm-hmm. so doctors and nurses were starting to question her story because of giving birth to her on the side of the road because the baby's head was perfectly round um which if any of you know babies oh, yeah. who are born vaginally have little cone heads so they look all funny because you gotta squeeze through that hole and um which is kind of a crude way to say that i'm sorry no, <laughs> It is. So they have a little cone heads, but babies who are born cesarean have perfectly round little heads because they don't have to squish through anything. Um, and so that was the first warning sign that she had not delivered this baby uh, the natural way. And yeah. so this put all the blood that was on her in the wrong location, because if it's all coming down her legs, if she had given birth to this baby, she would have more blood around her chest because it would be, or her belly, because it would have been a cesarean. Mm-hmm. And so finally at 10 PM, everybody, like all the nurses and the doctors and her husband, everyone was just telling her, like, you need to get looked at. And the doctors want to figure out what's going on. And so finally she agreed to be examined. And so when she went to the exam room with the doctors, Um, she made them promise not to tell her husband anything about the exam. So then she Mm -hmm. started telling them. So then while they were examining her, she had gained weight and she did resemble like physically, if you looked at her, she resembled a woman who was about 20 weeks pregnant, but they immediately noticed that the tissue on her belly was soft, um, which is really just from gaining weight um mm-hmm. not like when the uterus is expanded to carry a baby because if you know it's pregnant women's bellies they're all hard like you can yeah. feel it and so and it would still be that way if she had delivered the baby it would still be kind of hard because their bellies don't just immediately shrink down 
And so Darcy admitted that she had lied to keep her husband from knowing that the, the baby wasn't his. It was delivered by a surrogate from Santa Fe, um, which is why she was on that interstate. She said that she found this surrogate outside an abortion clinic in Portland, then paid her $10,000 for the baby and even paid for her to get to Santa Fe where she would deliver the baby. And so she went on to say that there was a midwife there who delivered the baby and the midwife splashed blood on Darcy to help it seem as if she was delivered. Um, and doctors were super skeptical because that story yeah, is just sounds like bullshit. crazy. Yeah. Um, but also like at the very least, if she was delivered, if the baby was delivered by a midwife, why was the umbilical cord not clamped appropriately? Mm-hmm. Why was it bitten or like yeah. jaggedly torn? Cut probably with the keys. Mm-hmm. Or she actually bit it. I don't bit know. It, it doesn't but... really say. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> why would she say she bit it if she didn't actually? I don't know. I don't, know. I don't want to speculate at what she did. Um, but at the very least, that was like problem number one with that story but also too just the sanitation like you would not Mm -hmm. put somebody else's blood on somebody else just to make it look like they had delivered a baby anyway uh at 1 a.m chief resident susan graham looked uh locked down the nursery she called the police and again they kind of were tipped off a little bit because they had this missing pregnant woman already reported and so police arrived they began to question darcy but um and but they didn't have any trouble getting her to talk it was just everything she said didn't really make sense okay who's the midwife's name i don't know what's the name of the surrogate i don't know how did you get the ten thousand dollars to pay for it i have a trust fund okay through where oh no so everything was just these random things that she didn't have answers to that you would totally have answers to So at 3 a.m., doctors began to question her about Cindy Ray specifically because now they're kind of putting two two and two together. And she was like, I don't know. I've never heard of her. Like, I hope she's okay, but I got nothing to do with that. Yeah. And so finally around 10 a.m., so she has been questioned for hours. It doesn't say that she got any sleep. So she's just been up all day and they – finally get a confession out of her and she just says I've done something horribly wrong I'm afraid maybe something is wrong with the woman so detectives put Pierce in a car and followed her directions as she led them to the dirt roads in the Cibola National Forest she was very talkative the whole time like telling them the directions and everything Mm -hmm. and said I killed her I took the baby god I hope she's not dead which that's little late for that that yeah yeah i killed her yeah you did like you did dead um when cindy's body was discovered because cindy had bled out pretty instantaneously after being cut open it said um pierce began to scream get me out of here please kill me just she didn't want to be there anymore so just before noon Sam was notified and he was taken to the hospital to meet his daughter who he named Amelia Monique. Um, I'm going to say it's Monique because it's spelled M-O-N-I-K. Um, so it's okay. an interesting spelling of it. I don't know if any, if there is another pronunciation for that and you know that, please let me know. But um, Amelia Monique and it was a name that uh, Cindy had picked out even like pretty much right when she became pregnant, if not a little bit before she knew that 
that she was going to name her daughter that. So, of course, uh, Darcy was taken into custody and put on trial. So there were two different types of psychiatrists that were presented because the defense was really using the fact that she were trying to go for an insanity defense. Okay. And yeah. so the defense psychiatrists were claiming there was evidence of like multiple personalities and some kind of disassociation going on mm-hmm. between like the the Darcy that committed the crime and then the Darcy who just really wanted the a baby and all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas the psychiatrists for the state were like, mm, she's sick and she has mental illnesses, but she's not insane. Like she knew no. what she was doing and she knew what would happen. So on March 29th, the jury agreed with the state and they found her guilty, but mentally ill of first degree murder, kidnapping and child abuse. Um, And she was sentenced to life in prison. Sam ended up remarrying in 1988. um, And right after the incident with Cindy, he was released from the Air Force with something called a hardship discharge because of Mm -hmm. everything going on. Yeah, Um, he, he ended up becoming a student at Brigham Young University to earn a teaching degree because he said that um, Cindy would have really liked the idea of him like helping younger kids and helping people to learn. Um, and then in one of the articles I read, it was from like a, like an Albuquerque news source that um, the, the whole family obviously had to do some type of therapy and things like that going through that, but especially the kids because Luke, their son, was only two when this happened, so he had a hard time not being mad at his little sister because in his mind, mom doesn't, mom never came back, and all of a sudden, this baby is here now. Yeah. And so they seem to be doing, last they heard, they followed up on it because the article I read was in like 1989. They seem to be doing better and getting the help that they needed for that. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 1997, Pierce's attorney tried to get a new trial due to saying that her old attorney had not followed up on information that could have shown she was insane um, and not mentally ill, but that was denied because the judge was like, yeah, there's not really much more. Um, And they wanted, they really wanted the insane or insanity defense because that would have gotten her into a mental institution until she was deemed to be safe it's like basically healthy again to return to society um rather than being in prison and so something interesting to note that was coming up a lot with this case um was in 2019 so actually like i want to say it was in february of last year a new bill um is called house bill 564 Um, was trying to get passed in New Mexico that would allow inmates who had life sentences um, and had served 30 years to become eligible for parole. Because apparently something about in New Mexico, that's what a life sentence is. It's 30 years because that's just what they've decided life is, which is interesting because if you're like 20 and you get a life sentence and you're only in there till you're 50, you still have life left to live. So it was interesting, but that was kind of the argument. Um, But it ended up being vetoed by the governor in, I believe, April of last year. And so it passed the House, um, but that was about it. So 
but there were a lot of articles talking to Sam about it because that would mean that Darcy would be released or she would yeah. be eligible for parole because she had served her time and it didn't seem like there were any issues with her while in prison, which means that parole. Maybe she got would... the help that she needed. Yeah, maybe. Um, it didn't really say anything about her getting any mental health services in prison. And I don't know how New Mexico's prison system yeah, is. I don't know either. I don't think California's is ideal <laughs> as far as no. like inmates getting mental health. So no, I don't not. know. Um, but yeah, so there were a few articles um, from last year that had interviewed Sam because about how he was feeling. Because as um, one of the, even though he wasn't directly a victim, being that his wife was he would be notified if she ever yeah. got out like when if she ever gets out he'll be notified um and because again like she kidnapped this baby once yeah what makes you think that now that she's older she wouldn't try to contact her or anything like that because what how old would that baby be if she was born in 1970 30 1987 she'd be 33 yeah 33 okay so yeah so she yeah i don't know she'd be grown but doesn't mean that yeah. lady would stop trying to like yeah who knows see her as her and who knows if something. she got the mental help that uh, you know mm-hmm. if she saw somebody and how her mental health is doing yeah um, and and i think we talked about this in one of the other episodes too the idea of like mental health plays such a huge role in this country and we need to get people to help especially in terms of like the prison system Mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of people who, yeah, they, they've committed crimes or they've used drugs or they've fallen down the wrong path. But if we get them the mental health services that they need, we can drastically reduce the amount of inmates that are in prison and stop overwhelming the prison system as much mm-hmm. as we are. Because even right now with everything going on with the coronavirus, they're having to release people mm-hmm. because they can't have them sick. Well, if they weren't in there in the first place, if they got the mental health services that they needed or the help that they needed in yeah. the community, then they wouldn't have been in there in the first place, you know? So, yeah. Know. Well, and you look at Darcy and like everything that she went through and like the signs, like even when she was six years old, like I'm yeah. sure she probably didn't get any sort of mental health services then either. And mm-hmm. so like how much could you have helped support her? And we know how childhood trauma can affect brain development. Mm-hmm. And it just like, you know, kind of is a domino effect. Not that if you go through trauma that you inevitably will be crimi- have some sort of criminal tendency because it's definitely not true, but you know, you have some resilience, help build the resilience in people. And I think that that mm-hmm. needs to be looked at as a real key factor. Yeah. Um, Oh, and like I had mentioned about going back to that quote about the six years old thing happening, the relationship with Mm -hmm. the cousin. um, I question, I don't question it that it happened. I'm sure, I mean, maybe it did, but um, I wonder what psychiatrist, like, was it the defense trying to claim that there was stuff Mm -hmm. or was it the state? Was this something that Darcy said? Because she kind of proves to be a little bit of an unreliable narrator in certain situations. So absolutely. kind of thinking back especially since they were trying for an insanity defense talking about trauma like that could be something that you would try to use for that so I don't know there wasn't anything more like I said with lesser known true crime stuff we're gonna have less information as like a background um but I did think it was an interesting story or case to talk about um especially because that does actually happen in this country like they um like women 
are so wrapped up in this idea that our ability to have children makes up who we are. And yeah. so, and again, like it shouldn't be because that's not all that makes anybody a woman is being able to have a child, but how it got so twisted in Darcy's mind that she needed that to keep her husband and she needed that love and that care from someone because she didn't get that in her childhood. It sounds like, and she didn't, I mean, she was abandoned at 11 days old and whether or not you remember that, like it's still triggering to think, why didn't they want me? Like who, what was wrong at 11 days old that they just were like, yeah, but they don't want that you yeah. they don't want you yeah mm -hmm. I, wasn't there also i'm just trying to think like wasn't there um not that many years ago another case similar to this where a lady cut out a pregnant woman she was selling like the woman posted on craigslist that she was selling baby clothes and so this pregnant lady went to get it and she ended up cutting out the baby that I don't know. The only thing that came up with that LA Times article that I read um, mm -hmm. was um, that in 1987, it was the country's third known case of a crude cesarean um, by someone who really wanted a child. Oh, and yeah. the other two were in 1975, one in Philadelphia and one in North Hollywood. Um, mm -hmm. Both were murders, but miraculously, the babies survived, which is really the silver lining in all of this is that yeah. the baby was because honestly, you would think that that's what Cindy, if she couldn't make it there, that at least her baby was okay. Um, there and, was, I just looked it up. So in okay. 2016 in Colorado, there oh, was, okay. there was a lady, her name was Danelle Lane. She was the one who cut out the baby. Well, what if we wanted to tell that story for Colorado? Now oh, you well. said it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but what what are we gonna do too? Because Colorado's next week, so like back to back. So, story. so but I mean, no, that's that story. I was like, that didn't happen that many years ago, and I was like, because when you're telling that, it's mm -hmm. you know, it's weird that multiple cases like that have happened. Yeah. I was like, and I didn't remember what state that had happened in, so I thought that was the story you were going to start telling. And then I was like, 80s? No, this happened a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and there have been, I mean, there have been situations like that. And even too, where like, you always hear those stories of babies getting kidnapped from like shopping carts and mm -hmm. strollers and all that kind of stuff. Because again, like, I think without the proper mental health treatment for some people, we miss some of the warning signs. And again, if there's added pressure that you need to have a child, not like whether it's to be in a relationship or to feel like to be a woman, air woman, quotes, yeah. like, and so that's so much pressure on people as a society. Cause again, like the, a lot of women struggle with fertility issues and a lot mm -hmm. of women just can't have baby. Like I said, Darcy had ovarian cysts that could have been affecting her fertility and for her to fear that she would lose her husband and things like that when it didn't, I don't know, they didn't really go too much into Ray, but it sounded like he just wanted her to get checked out and he cared. Yeah. yeah. He was there waiting at the hospital for her to deliver a baby. It was interesting. So I don't know, there wasn't really much on him and their relationship. So it'd be interesting to see if like, was he putting any pressure on her or was this kind of all in her head of like, no, I need to have a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing that story. Yeah. 
And um, oh, also fun fact, because we talked about it earlier, the idea of the toy gun, we were talking about them needing the orange tip yeah. um, or being entirely brightly colored. Turns out that's in 1992. Oh. The Department of Commerce prohibited the manufacture, sale, or shipping of toy guns unless they have an orange tip or an entire or are entirely brightly colored. Um, the regulation does not pro prohibit end users from modifying the toy. So, I mean, people can modify them, but you're probably going to get in trouble for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it was so thanks Wikipedia for <laughs> putting that into place um, because yeah, it was just that they don't want them to look. Um, realistic well, so I guess it's a federal the BB guns in my case they bought them in like 1996 however this is not required by federal law for airsoft and paintball guns oh there you go yep so BB guns are airsoft guns so those wouldn't be required it's more for like um like water guns, guns and, and stuff like that well, maybe um, it needs little to toy be, like, imitation guns yeah yeah to be changed Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's where it came to be because um, they can look like real weapons. So people have been killed for having fake guns and things like that. Yeah. Um, and there have been instances, I guess, where they were removed from sales and stuff like that. But I guess surprisingly, Walmart doesn't sell. Um, as of 2018, they don't sell um, assault style rifle like um airsoft gun like toys that look like assault oh. style rifle they yeah. don't they don't sell those types anymore oh that's interesting yeah so sorry that was a fun fact for the episode since both of our uh <laughs> our <laughs> stories took place in albuquerque so we have oh, a little bit less of a city fact we have one less city fact this week but i have two kind of albuquerque city facts so and then you have one so we're just gonna be learning a lot about albuquerque today which is okay yeah it is okay. I've never been to Albuquerque, but maybe that's the first place I'll go in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how many even cities I can name in New Mexico. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. What else is there? Uh, I'm trying to think of another one besides Albuquerque, because Tucson is Arizona. Oh, Santa Fe. Santa Fe. Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Albuquerque. <laughs> Sorry, New Mexico. Sorry. I don't know about you. No, either. I'm gonna know less and less the more east we move <laughs> in this country. That's okay. You ready to do our introduction? Yeah. So it's time for well, super fun state fun facts and city. And city. It's Not really hard to do plural, and it's only one this week. City. It is, but it's really hard to do our super fun state facts over a computer because the computer <laughs> decides to cut one of us. <laughs> we'll see whoever <laughs> we'll see what happens all right what's your super fun state fact okay do we want to start with the state first uh, let's change it up we'll do the cities we keep changing it up okay, whether yeah, we start there's with no city rhyme or state. reason we do what we want yeah it's our podcast okay it's our podcast we do what we want okay so <laughs> what Albert that Kirby, i don't know <laughs> I'm feeling a little weird today. <laughs> Not as All right. as yesterday. <laughs> oh, I know. Yesterday was the Disney sing-along. So Amber and I were on video chat singing along. Drinking some wine, singing some Disney. So I want to say uh, my favorite part was singing Mulan song. Yes. Uh, 
with Donny Osmond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was definitely that. I felt my most passionate when I was singing that just because like, I definitely didn't need the words. <laughs> well, I arguably we didn't need the words for many of the songs, but I really enjoyed Colors of the Wind, despite yeah. the fact that she was singing a little, oh. it was Tori, Tori Kelly or something Kelly? like that. Yeah. I, I, say, was her name. I don't know who she is, but she was adding a little bit too much of the like singer range thing that some singers uh -huh. do. Exactly like that. <laughs> Christina Aguilera also did that. Though. She also did that. <laughs> like, knock it off. Just sing it the way it's supposed to be sung. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. We got off topic a little bit. Let's go back to That's okay. So, Albuquerque. So, I have two little fun fake state facts or city facts. So, for, so first off, uh, for nine days in the beginning of October, the skies of Albuquerque are filled with giant blobs of color, as it is the hot air balloon capital of the world. And in October, the balloon fiesta is held and around 600 hot air balloons fly up in the sky. Nice. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. That would be pretty cool. Hot air balloon. So, Have you ever been in a hot air balloon? Hell no, nor would I ever. Yeah, no, that kind of freaks I, me out. I the don't fact trust that it's a wicker basket to be <laughs> all holding me up. Yeah. Plus, it's like a wicker basket and then a huge flame. Like yeah. it just does not sound like it works out well. I don't know how it works. How shit doesn't burn. I just don't trust it. <laughs> witchcraft. <laughs> that witchcraft. Yep. All that, right. Talk about magical underpants. That's some weird magic going on. Right there, there you go. All right. What was your second Albuquerque fact? So my second one, as we talked about in um, uh, Oregon, I love, I have a love for the TV show, The Simpsons. And so in The Simpsons, there is the Springfield Isotope baseball team. And in one of the episodes, the isotopes are moving. And so Homer gets really, really upset. And he's actually the one that first one that figures it out. Um, because they start serving a hot dog with uh, southwestern flavors, and <laughs> so, and then he's just he's like, he'll be like, "I'll be quirky, I'll be quirky." What's "I'll be quirky"? And then he's like, "Albuquerque, the isotopes are moving to Albuquerque." So, um, Albuquerque, being the smart city that it was, decided to change its name for its farm team. So their their baseball team are now known as the Albuquerque Isotopes named after the Simpsons, which I think is really cool. Nice. Since, since they're a minor league team, do they feed into uh, ML? They do. I don't know which one, though. Oh, I was like, where do they go? Okay, well, why don't you, you share your okay. fun state city fact, and then I'll tell you. All right. So my fun city fact, because I love TV, um, is that – uh, Breaking Bad, the television series, which is amazing. Um, and I think we talked about it actually in another We did, episode. because I told you I didn't like it. You didn't like it. Yeah. And I remember being <laughs> upset about that. Uh, makes me kind of want to- again. Makes I'll me want to throw a pizza on your roof, Amber. You won't get that until you watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> okay. All right. I will, I'll try watching it. What else am I doing? Not a lot. So yeah, you're in, that's your quarantine homework. Okay. My quarantine homework assignment. Binge watch Breaking Bad. And okay. tell us all what you think. Uh, but Breaking Bad was filmed in Albuquerque, and you could even take a location tour. Um, and I know that the house uh, that 
got the pizza thrown on it that they were actually having issues because people literally would drive to that house and throw pizzas on the roof oh shit because that's what he did in the tv show and I'm like those poor people like I feel like I would never let my house be a part of a movie because if something really like significant happens the people are always going to be around the house (laughs) like wasn't it the goonies where the people didn't know that their house was a part so they were like (laughs) what's going on yeah why are all these people coming to our house yeah (laughs) yep but I feel like that happens a lot like if your house is featured like that and then the breaking bad thing and I feel like there was another tv show where people would stop by and like pay homage to I don't remember what though but I'm I'm sure there's like plenty of them if it's not on a sound stage then people go and they try to like be part oh I think it's like something to do with Gilmore Girls I think one of their places but I don't know I never watched that show I know a Christmas story uh the movie that plays over and over again Mm -hmm. that house people drive by I don't know where where it's located I think it's Mm -hmm. somewhere on the east coast but people drive by that and I think it actually has the leg lamp in it oh that's cool so yeah so that was my albuquerque fact is that breaking bad was filmed there and the whole thing really takes place in a lot of parts of new mexico which is cool because new mexico was one of the first states to offer tax breaks for movie and film production oh well there you go so Mm -hmm. i bet a lot of things are being filmed there so the albuquerque isotopes are a farm team for the colorado rockies all right i'm my uh the state fact so the super fun state fact for new mexico so uh, did you know in 1950 they found a little black baby bear cub stuck in a tree in the lincoln national forest and the forest had been completely destroyed by fire oh no so he became a symbol for fire safety for every kid in america we know him as only you can prevent forest fires only you can prevent forest fires so Smokey the Bear is from New Mexico, and in honor of Smokey, uh, New Mexico legislators uh, named and chose the black bear as the official state animal in 1963. That's dope. I like that. I know, Smokey, Smokey the Bear. Yep. Only you can prevent forest fires. Yep. They always, if you drive up, like, up towards Yosemite, there's always Smokey the Bear, and then he has the range of, like, fire danger. (laughs) We're always in the red. (laughs) California is always one step away from being on fire. (laughs) I'm always like, oh, it's in the red. I don't think I've ever gone up into the air, like, national parks, and it not be in the red. (laughs) Are there trees? Fire safety. Fire, fire safety. Fire, fire yeah, warning. There's some fire hazards. You better not <laughs> throw out your cigarette if you smoke. That's cool. I didn't know Smokey the Bear was from New Mexico. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Cool. Also, they have a bear too. And isn't our thing a bear? Or weird brown bears or grizzly bears? What kind of bears? Yeah. California. We have a bear on our... You're the one that told us this. It wasn't the fun... St- didn't we have a state... Yeah, because it was based on a real bear, but I don't know if that had anything to do with it being California State Animal. Oh, ours is a grizzly bear. Oh, it is. So Maybe I did say that in the fact. the black bear, we have the grizzly. Yep, there you go. Our bear's still cooler. I mean, it's not Smokey the Bear. I mean, it's, I mean yeah, it's Smokey not- the Bear looks like a grizzly bear, so just saying. Yeah. He does not look like a black bear. He's brown, right? I think so. I don't I think know. he's brown. 
maybe he's different colors wherever. Maybe he we've stolen. Maybe we have all stolen his likeness and have made him into the bear of our color of our choosing. Because <laughs> interesting that he's on the little sign when you go up into Yosemite, because there's yeah. also a little fire warning sign when you're on the grapevine in California, headed yeah. down towards south, like from Northern California to Southern California, and there is it's just a there's a snow bear. It's just a sign that tells you caution fire. There's a lot of other advisories that way too. They always give you the wind one. Yep. One time I was driving on the grapevine and I was in my little Hyundai Elantra, not my new one, my old one, my Paco. And I physically, like it was so windy. There was such a strong gust of winds in the grapevine as I was driving. I could literally fill my car like moving like move I was like what is happening like I felt like I was eating it and I didn't want anyone next to me because I'm like I can't voluntarily like I might involuntarily just just think of like because all the semi-trucks that like drive on Um, that and think watching that watching them move I was like nope this is how I die this is it this is it this is final destination two all over again (laughs) (laughs) zoom by drive by real quick (laughs) (laughs) my little car There's always freaking cars stuck on the grapevine, like, in the summertime that have overheated and stuff. Because people don't know how to drive. They try to push their cars. It's like, you got to take it easy when it's that hot because it feels nice inside your car with AC, but you're not supposed to have your AC on when you're in certain parts of it because your car will overheat. Yep. Stupid people. Yeah. Those are, I like to think of those as the people that aren't from California normally, so they don't know. They don't, or they're at least not from Southern California, so they don't know that that's what you're, yeah, you're supposed, you're to, supposed do. to drive, how you're supposed to do it. I used to make that drive all the time, like almost every other weekend, I would be going from Orange County to Fresno for a while there, and it was, Ugh. yeah, I got really used to that drive. Now I'm kind of like, oh, it's so long, but before it I used to so do it like long. nothing, like it was just like, cool, I'd put on my music, and I'd chill, and I'd leave at like 11 o'clock at night, so then there would be less cars. Yep, no traffic. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always traffic, except yeah. for right now. Right now, yeah. there's not traffic. <laughs> I know. I saw pictures of LA and like their lack of smog right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, even here, there's a little, it's not as near as dingy. Yeah. No, I mean, all the air everywhere is clean. China's air is really clean right now. India's air is really clean. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, one, one thing that's come out of this that's helped a little bit. So, yeah. All right. So thank you for listening to this episode in New Mexico. Next week, we will be heading to the Rocky Mountain state of Colorado as we make our way back up to the Colorado or Colorado, Colorado, however you pronounce it. We're heading there. Uh, So if you like what you hear, make sure you tell everyone about us. We are also now on Apple Podcasts. So Please, 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 if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. It helps us um, get more listeners, and it helps people be able to find us who might enjoy the show. Um, So like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SOM Podcast. And if you have any corrections or any fun facts you want to share or anything at all that you want to talk to us about, uh, email us at stateofmurderpodcast at gmail.com. And anything else that we're adding to the sign off? I think we're good. So yeah, we're available on all the things now. So go follow us and like us and share all of our wonderful things. Um, I think we're currently working on maybe making some stickers for ourselves so we can like, 
give you guys send out some stickers and put them all over the place so people can see our beautiful state of murder logo that's right so thank you for listening and we'll see you next week yep bye, bye.